when we look at our own lives, it always seems to us that everything is going, going to continue the same way it has done, even though we know that that's not the case from experience. Sometimes something happens in our lives that shakes us up and we realize how fragile everything is that we experience in our families and our, and our health and, and the things that we own and our jobs. And, and we, we realize how fragile that can be and how it can just turn to dust so quickly. And yet we don't really think that as we go about our daily lives. And it's the same as when we look at the world. When we look at the world today, it's a very fragile world. And we've just been through the financial crisis and it's still ongoing. And yet we seem to think that everything's going to continue the way it is, that our, our jobs are going to be the same, that we're going to pay off our mortgage and we're going to retire and, and maybe relax a bit and we might think about what we'll do when we'll retire. And yet those things are so fragile that we're assuming that the world is going to continue the way it is and that there's going to be peace and that there's going to be prosperity and that the money that we've saved up in the bank account is going to be there and that we're going to be able to pay off that mortgage and that we're going to have health to enjoy these things. But the reality is much different. And as we look at what's happening in the news about us, it really does impress upon us how fragile this world is. We'll talk about um, that picture in a minute. It's a, a Russian uh, boat heading towards Syria, a very unstable part of the world right now. So Jesus said it would be like this in Luke chapter 21. He was talking about the Jews being dispersed and that their world and the things that they trusted in were going to crumble and were going to change and that they would have to leave the land that they lived in. So Jesus said that Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So Jesus said that the Jews, Jewish people would be scattered out of the land of Israel for a long period of time for the times of the Gentiles. And it would remain that way until the times of the Gentiles would be fulfilled. And of course, we're now seeing the reversal of that. And the Jews have been returning back to their land again for um, a hundred years, I suppose. And Jesus then went on to say that there would be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So Jesus said that we would live in a very fragile world, that things wouldn't be secure. And that's exactly how it is today. So as we look around us in, in the news this week, we see that Russia is sending warships to Syria in a show of support for uh, Assad. So on the Daily Telegraph uh, news website, it, it, this was the headline, and it said that Russia dispatched a flotilla of warships to its naval base in the Syrian port of Tartus on 
on Tuesday and an apparent show of support for President Bashar al-Assad. So that's a very significant event in Bible prophecy. We're going to spend a few minutes um, looking at that tonight. But when we look at the Middle East, and particularly when we look at, at um, Syria right now, we see how unstable the Middle East is. And the way that it's been for the last 60 years or, or, or so is, is just completely changing. And the peace treaties that Israel had signed with nations like Egypt and Jordan, the one with Egypt is probably not even worth the paper that it was written on now, um, as we see what's coming to pass in Egypt. <clears throat> but Syria is, of course, really in a civil war, and, uh, and, it's, and, it's a, and it's a real mess. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Tonight we're going to look at um, some of the uh, things that we expect to happen in the Middle East, which will make it very interesting to watch the events in Syria. And then as we mentioned, the events in Egypt. So we've now seen the results of the people's voice and the freedom that they thought that they were going to have is quickly evaporating. And instead of that, there's more stringent Muslim law um, that will probably be coming in, in Egypt. But in the meantime, again, Egypt is on the brink of civil war because the military doesn't want to give up the power that it has. And the new Muslim government wants to take that power away from, from the military. So the economist um, said that a storm brews in Cairo as um, really these two men that are sitting together are really on two opposite sides of a, a huge power struggle that's now coming um, to the fore in Egypt. And Egypt is another nation that's mentioned in the prophetical um, timetable. We just read about it in uh, Daniel chapter 11. So uh, we're not going to look at it in any detail tonight, but nevertheless, um, I think we will discover that it's significant. <clears throat> well, if you could uh, open your Bibles to the reading, if, you, if you've closed them in Daniel chapter 11. <clears throat> and we want to just have a look at that chapter, the end of that chapter, the, the bit we read from verse 40 on, just to sort of get our bearings and, and see where we are um, and how those things could have an import for us and, and may be helpful in, in discerning the things that are happening around about us. So we started reading out verse 40, and that introduces this new section. It's really a new section in the prophecy. So it spent a lot of time talking about the king of the north and the king of the south. There's so much detail that now people have to say that Daniel was written later. It was written after all those events because if you don't believe in divine inspiration, um, it would be impossible for these events to have been predicted so accurately. But of course, the chapter continues on from there, and, and, the, and the part that we read together hasn't been altogether fulfilled. Um, so I'm sure it will be fulfilled with the same accuracy um, as the other part was. And of course, we wouldn't be able to say then, well, Daniel wasn't written until now, um, because 
um, it's the case, but I'm sure that people still wouldn't necessarily believe it. Well, Daniel chapter 11, verse 40, introduces that new section, and it says, At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. So that's the beginning of that section. And so we ask, well, when is the time of the end? What's it talking about? Is it talking about something, a time of, of the end for something else? Uh, the time of the end of the Jewish people before, maybe some other event in history that was a time of the end. What time of the end is it talking about? Well, it helps a lot when we notice chapter 12 and verse 1. <clears throat> because that continues on, but it's telling us events that will happen at the same time. So Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says, And at that time shall Michael stand up. So it's the same time, the time of the end. And it's continuing on, but it's reinforcing that idea that this is talking about the time of the end. So at that time shall Michael stand up. And uh, what we want to notice then is verse 2, a key event that will happen at the time of the end. So Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So the time of the end, then, is the time of the resurrection of the dead. So the events that... Daniel chapter 11 verse 40 speaks about from there until the end of the chapter and then of course into chapter 12 all those events are events to do with the time of the end one of the key events is the resurrection of the dead so if we're talking about the resurrection of the dead we're talking about the time that the Lord Jesus Christ has returned to the earth and has and has raised the dead so we're not talking about an event that was a thousand years ago or 400 years ago or 200 years ago but we're, we're talking about events that have to do with the time when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth and raises the dead. So let's then just review some characteristics, some uh, identifying uh, events that would happen in the time of the end that Daniel 11 verse 40 and into chapter 12 speaks about. <clears throat> So as we look then uh, through this, we discover that there's two dominant and antagonistic world powers involved in the Middle East at the time of the end. And they're called the King of the North and the King of the South. So the section begins by telling us that at the time of the end, um, shall the King of the South push at the King of the North. So you have these two dominant powers that are contending with each other, and we're going to look at that word in a minute just to see exactly what that means. But we do see two dominant and antagonistic world powers, and they're involved in the Middle East because um, all the countries that are mentioned that are um, in this, that are victims or delivered in this battle. So you have nations that are are delivered or escape in verse 41. Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. They are. They escape, or they're delivered from the king of the north. But then we see that the land of Egypt wouldn't escape. And then we see that there's some allies, the Libyans and the Ethiopians, that are most likely helping 
the king of the north, as we'll, as we'll see. And we see that the king of the north invades Israel because he plants his tabernacle in the glorious holy mountain, as it says in verse 45. So there's two dominant and antagonistic world powers involved in the Middle East at the time of the end. And that's the king of the south contending with the king of the north. <clears throat> well, we really, we really already mentioned it, but a characteristic event then of the time of the end is the invasion of the Middle East and of, of Israel. That's something that happens at the time of the end. And Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, we read it together when we talked about the resurrection, um, that uh, there would be a time of trouble such as never was. It's actually verse 1. Sorry, that's a mistake on there. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. A time of trouble such as never was. And uh, we already mentioned the resurrection of the dead. So that's another characteristic event of the time of the end. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. And then Michael standing up for the deliverance of Daniel's people. In chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time shall Michael stand up. The great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. So God's people are delivered from, <clears throat> from the king of the north. And as a result of this, if you look at the end of verse 7, we see that Israel's scattering is accomplished. So after the time of the end, uh, and those events have been concluded, Israel will no longer be scattered. So it says there at the end of verse 7, And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So then, at that point, Daniel's people would be delivered by Michael standing up, and they would not be scattered anymore. So then it's quite clear what time this is talking about. And it gives us quite a few things to think about and to look at as we see events happening in the world around us, events in countries like Egypt, to then think about, well, how could this apply or be preparing for those events at the time of the end. One of the things that we mentioned about the time of the end was these two antagonistic world powers that would be contending with each other. So at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. Um, just go to the very bottom and, and see what the ASV says. It says, at the time of the end shall the king of the south contend with him. And that actually captures the idea of the verb much better than push, because push kind of sounds like I, I pushed uh, maybe once and then there was a reaction. But that's not the idea of, of the word. It's the idea of contending um, maybe over a period of time. And actually Green's translation says shall engage in butting. And that's because it says it's a special verb form. It's a re reflexive verb form. And uh, it doesn't mean um, just one push, but it means a, a backwards and forwards type of thing. So if I was to use the same verb form um, and I was going to speak about walking, the, the regular verb would just be to, to walk, but the reflexive verb would be to walk back and forth. Uh, and that's the idea with this, is that it's uh, two powers that are contending with each other um, in the Middle East over a period of time, and, and the king of the south is contending and, and butting back and forth with the king of the north, and all of a sudden, the king of the north explodes. 
sort of like when you're pestering your brother over a period of time and you know he's going to snap and, uh, and sooner or later he does, you know, and you know that point, you keep pressing the buttons until you, until, you, until you reach it. Well, that seems to be maybe the idea here or the king of the north has something up his sleeve and he, and he waits and he waits and he waits and all of a sudden he, he comes like a whirlwind. Um, and so this, this pushing back and forth is something that we would expect to see at the time of the end between two world powers that are involved in the Middle East. And, and we definitely see that today as we look in the news with, uh, with Russia backing certain nations like Iran and Syria and then the United States backing other nations like they have backed Egypt. And now that's sort of all changing. But then they've also backed and made allies with Saudi Arabia and, uh, and other countries down in, in the Gulf and have moved a lot of forces and have big arm, army bases and, and so forth down there. And then they're going back and forth with Iran and uh, Russia's giving more arms to Iran. And this, of course, has been going on for, for years now, for decades. Um, all the Middle Eastern wars that happened, the Six-Day War and the 73 War, the same thing was going on. So this contending um, over the Middle East has been going on for quite a long time. Well, what we'd like to do now, then, is um, go to another prophecy that we look at quite often, Ezekiel chapter 38, and see how it fits together with Daniel chapter 11. <clears throat> so in Daniel chapter 11, we looked at the time of the end. Well, when we come to Ezekiel chapter 38 we start reading about the latter days. So we're going to ask the same question that we asked in Daniel chapter 11. We asked, well, what is the time of the end? And we saw it was the time of the resurrection. Well, when are the latter days in Ezekiel 38 that it talks about in this prophecy? It mentions it in verse 16. And thou shalt come up, and it, now it's speaking to a power called uh, Gog. And, and thou shalt come up against my people Israel as a cloud to, to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days. And then again, uh, going back earlier in the prophecy to verse 8. <clears throat> so in verse 8 it says, After many days, so it's a long time in the future from Ezekiel, After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword. So that's the time that Ezekiel's talking about, the latter days or the latter years. It's going to be after a long period of time from Ezekiel. But in that verse, we didn't read all of it together, verse 8, it gives us a lot of pointers, a lot of identifying features as to what the latter days would be. So let's read that verse um, through the whole thing. And just take notice of those, um, those pointers. So Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 8. <clears throat> After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword. And is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel. Which have been always waste. But it is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. So it gives us quite a bit of information there, and it seems to repeat itself, to reinforce ideas as you, as you read that verse. 
So Gog is going to come against the land that's brought back from the sword. That doesn't tell us a lot, but then it kind of repeats it again and repeats it again and, and reinforces the ideas and adds to it. So it's the land that's brought back from the sword and that's been gathered out of many people. So this is a land where the people have come from many nations um, to be regathered. And then it tells us specifically that it's against the mountains of Israel. This is the land, it's Israel. And so it must be speaking then about the Jewish people that have been gathered um, from many nations. And then it tells us that the mountains of Israel have been always waste. So this is a time when you would look at it and you, and you would look at those places and you would say that it's always been waste. Now, of course, it hadn't always been waste, but it really emphasizes that that huge time period that it's after many days. Because when somebody looks at it, they say that those mountains have always been waste, but now they are inhabited. And if you were, if this was talking about the time when Daniel was alive and Daniel was in Babylon and the Jews had been scattered out of the land, if it was talking about that time, you wouldn't say that the mountains of Israel had always been waste because it was only a few decades. And you wouldn't view it that way. There would be people that would remember when it was different, when the Jewish people lived there. Um, the grandparents would remember that. So you wouldn't say that it had always been waste. But in our time, if you were to look at the history of things, and you were to go to Israel today and you were to look at the mountains of Israel and you would say that they're now inhabited, but they were always waste. For centuries and centuries of time, nobody lived there and there was nothing growing there and people weren't farming it and it was a wasteland. And that's how you would view it. So that tells us that it is speaking about our time, but it tells us something else too, which is quite important. It tells us that the Jews won't be scattered out of the land again. It's, uh, it's speaking about now because the Jews were scattered out of the land again and then in 20 or 30 or 40 years they came back. We wouldn't be saying that they had always been waste because now it would only be you know, a certain amount of time that they, the Jews had been there again. So it really narrows it down that it must be talking about our time. It must be talking about this time when the mountains of Israel have always been waste but now they are um, inhabited and the Jewish people have been brought forth out of the nations. And it emphasizes this idea of safe, of them living safely, which we'll maybe mention, but um, not something that we, we look for. Maybe we see that slowly um, also beginning to come to pass. So when he talks about the latter days in Ezekiel 38, it is talking about our time as well as Daniel chapter 11 was. So when we looked at Daniel 11, we said, well, what are the characteristics of of uh, the time of the end. And so let's look at Ezekiel and say, what are the characteristics of the latter days? And, and comparing it to Daniel chapter 11. When we look at Ezekiel chapter 38, we also see that there's two dominant world powers involved in the Middle East in Ezekiel chapter 38. We have this large group of nations that's introduced to us at the beginning. Um, Gog of the land of Magog and Rosh, Meshach and Tubal and, uh, and others with them. So there's one group of nations that's involved in the Middle East because they invade um, Israel. But we also see another group of nations that's involved in the Middle East as well. And we're introduced to them later on in verse, in verse 13. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lions thereof. So again, there's two 
dominant world powers involved in the Middle East um, in the latter days in Ezekiel chapter 38. Again, we see the invasion of the Middle East and uh, of Israel by this, uh, this Gog. And again, we see a time of trouble. It doesn't say in Ezekiel 38 that it will be a time of trouble such as never was. But when we read about it, it certainly does sound like that would be the case. So maybe we'll just read the uh, end latter part of the chapter together um, as we, we didn't read it at the introduction and we may um, not remember everything um, that it says there. So just uh, open your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel chapter 38 and we'll start reading together at verse 18. Ezekiel 38 and verse 18. And it shall come to pass at the same time, so the the latter years, when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. So that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him, and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. So when we read through that and appreciate what a great earthquake this is going to be, so it even affects birds in the air, fish in the sea, and animals upon the earth, um, it really impressed upon us what a great earthquake that would be. And, and this is a very helpful thing to notice as you look at other prophecies that we're not looking at this evening to do with the time of the end. Because you can often find this earthquake and it kind of ties everything together because we know there will be one great earthquake. And then we read about the judgments that's God, that God is going to bring and how God is going to be known in the eyes of many nations like he never has before. So it really is describing a time of trouble um, such as never was, you know, even though it doesn't say it, just like Daniel chapter 11 does. It also, in a way, speaks about the resurrection of the dead here. It's not very direct, but um, if we spend a little bit of time just thinking about it, we can see that, as a matter of fact, it is at the time of the resurrection of the dead. Um, we can briefly just look at that. Um, <clears throat> the first thing to notice is that Ezekiel chapter 38 goes hand in hand with the chapter before. So Ezekiel chapter 38 goes with Ezekiel chapter 37. So let's just notice that because Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 23, we read it together. Let's read it again at the very end of the chapter. So the, the prophet finishes and he says, Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am Yahweh. So that's how that the prophet finishes the word of Yahweh in this section. Well, if we go back to the end of chapter 37, chapter 37 and verse 28, we notice that it almost finishes in the exact same way. 
And the heathen shall know that I, Yahweh, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. So it brings us to the same conclusion. So you can see how those two chapters go together. And it's sort of looking at it this way and then looking at it that way. And we notice different things. We notice different aspects about the latter years, about this time, by putting these pictures together. So Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38 are both talking about the same time. As a matter of fact, there's a whole section of chapters here called the Prophecies of Restoration that all speak about um, this, this time. So those two chapters go together. And we, we notice the same important character in both chapters. So chapter 38 begins, And the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog. So it's the son of man here who is the one that challenges Gog. It's the son of man who sets his face against this, this great power and, and challenges him. And, and overthrows him. So, son of man, set thy face against God. So the son of man is a key um, character in this chapter. Even though it's Ezekiel that's speaking, Ezekiel the prophet. And um, he then becomes a figure. He becomes a player, an actor on the stage in this, in this vision. And, and he represents something. So, and he's the one that challenges um, Gog. He's the one that sets his face against Gog. Well, if we go back to chapter 37, we notice the same character, the same uh, man. Ezekiel is there and he's speaking, but it uses the same name for him. And again, he's involved in the vision. He's not just a spectator, but he's involved in the, in the act that takes place. So in, uh, as we begin to read Ezekiel chapter 37... It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, thou knowest. And he said unto me, Again, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. So in verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, things took place. So the Son of Man is a, a key figure in the act. He's the one that is commanded to prophesy. He's the one that speaks to the bones, which are the whole house of Israel. And when he prophesies and speaks to the bones, his words have an effect and, and cause the things that happen in the vision to happen. So it, it's the Son of Man uh, that does that. And it's also the Son of Man in Ezekiel 38 who challenges Gog, that sets his face against Gog. And, and effectively then, he's the one that um, delivers uh, Israel as, as God's representative so then when you begin to think about it you say well who will do this work of of speaking to the dry bones of the house of israel and prophesying the word of god to them so that these things would happen and who's the one that will stand up to challenge gog 
Well, it gives us actually more detail about what God will do if we go back to chapter 36, which again fits in with this group of prophecies. So let's just go back to chapter 36 and see um, how God says the same thing there, really in a different way. So Ezekiel chapter 36, and we'll read from verse 24 um, down to 28. So Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 God says, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of the countries and will bring you into your own land. So that's how we got to the situation in Ezekiel chapter 38, where the Jews were regathered. It's uh, what God has spoken about here through the prophet about gathering them back to their land. Chapter uh, verse 25 then gives us the next step that God would do when he brought them back to the land. It says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments, and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers." And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Really, it's brought us again to the conclusion of Ezekiel chapter 38, when God would be known in the eyes of many nations and and Israel would be delivered. So then there's a work then that has to take place, that is the cleansing of Israel, the teaching of Israel, um, the speaking to the bones, the prophesying to the bones that then causes them to come to spiritual life and causes them to come back to be a, a, a nation a strong nation again. And there's many passages that we could talk or go to to, to see who would do this work of, um, of teaching the Jewish people. But uh, one what we can, we'll turn to is Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 is a very interesting prophecy. Again, you can uh, find that earthquake that we were were talking about um, in uh, in this prophecy. And uh, and it's also a prophecy for the latter day, which you can see in the margin at verse 8, where it says the time to come forever and ever. You'll notice in your margin there it says for the latter day. So it's also a prophecy of the latter day. And it speaks about the same things and the same events. won't take the time to look through it. But in, uh, in verse 20, it tells us then how this work would take place. So Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20 says, Though the Lord give you, the Jewish people, the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying this is the way walk ye in it when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left that's exactly what Ezekiel chapter 36 had spoken about and it's really the same thing as Ezekiel chapter 37 when the prophet speaks to the dry bones and uh, and spiritual life comes into them so then in a roundabout way, and the more you look at it, you can see that this is at the time of the resurrection of the dead, because 
the, the teachers of Israel are there, and, and you can look at many other passages to, to learn about that. Uh, and so, again, in Daniel chapter 11, it spells out the resurrection of the dead very precisely. But in Ezekiel, you can see that it's, it's at that time because you have this man, the son of man, who represents the prophet and is the one that speaks to Israel. And, and you can see then that he's been raised from the dead and that God is then using him to do this work. So um, another characteristic there, and I thought we'd just spend a few minutes looking at that because I thought it was, um, I found it interesting. Um, anyway, so continuing on with our list then in Ezekiel chapter 38, so we should, we should turn back to that prophecy. Ezekiel chapter 38, and uh, verses 18 to 23, we read it through once, uh, and we saw how that um, when Gog invades the land of Israel, that God would become very angry, and he would act on behalf of his people, and he would deliver them. So again, Yahweh acts for the deliverance of Israel. As uh, in, um, in Daniel chapter 11, Michael stood up for the deliverance of Israel. And uh, Israel's scattering was accomplished, as we noticed in Daniel chapter 12. And in Ezekiel 39, we also see that that's the result of these things that take place. So Ezekiel chapter 39 and reading at verse 25. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. After that they have borne their shame and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, and they shall know that I, the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen, but I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel saith the Lord God. So it's talking about the same time when Israel's scattering would be accomplished and, and God would um, never hide his face from them again. So Ezekiel chapter 38 and Daniel chapter 11 go together. And they're speaking about the same time period and, and also give us a different picture, a different view of the same things, the same events. So in that case then, the king of the north and Gog are the same. It's the same person, just a different way of expressing it. And we can see that, and already we've seen how those prophecies go together. Um, <clears throat> but then, just noticing some of these points, we can see that those two, two leaders, um, the king of the north and Gog, are the same. <clears throat> so the first point is that their geographical position is the same. Gog originates from the north parts, and you can see that in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 15, and thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts. And uh, you can see that again in verse 6. So um, Gog originates from the north parts. And of course, like the king of the north, who uh, just in his name, we can see that his geographical position is north from, from Israel. So their geographical position is the same. They are both adversaries and invaders of Israel. 
Um, and we saw that in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 41, how that uh, the king of the north will come down and plant his tabernacles in the glorious holy mountain. So he'll invade the Middle East and he'll invade uh, the mountains of Israel and set up his tabernacle there. And uh, Ezekiel is the same. Ezekiel 38 and um, verse 36 doesn't exist. So that's clearly a, uh, that's clearly a typo. Um, but uh, nevertheless, we can see in, uh, in verse 16, maybe that's supposed to be verse 16, that uh, that's the case. Thou shalt come up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, and the heathen, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. So um, Gog comes down against Israel, against the people of Israel, and against the land of Israel. So both are adversaries and invaders of Israel. And the time of the invasions is the same. The time of the end in Daniel chapter 11 and the latter days in Ezekiel chapter 38. And we've looked at how those are the same times. And their allies are the same. So in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 43, it says the Ethiopians and the Libyans are at the steps of the king of the north. And in Ezekiel chapter 38 and, uh, and verse 5, it says that Persia, which is Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Those are their, the Middle East allies that Gog has, and it's the same allies that the king of the north has in Daniel chapter 11. And both of them meet the same fate at the same time on the mountains of Israel. So it's quite clear then that the king of the north and, the Gog, and Gog are the same, and that we're given two different pictures of the same um, events. Well, let's just, we've talked about some of this, but let's just review it again and in a little bit more detail because this gets quite interesting as we look at events um, that are transpiring in the world around us. So in Ezekiel chapter 38, what is the situation when Gog invades? What, what, what things are happening in the world? How would we, how would we see the world um, at that time. Well, we've noticed that Israel has been regathered from among many nations. And that's in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 8. And we talked about how the mountains of Israel um, ha, um, are considered as having always been waste and when, when this occurs. And uh, it also says that uh, it's the desolate places that are now inhabited. Uh, and we see that today. So... Um, that's the situation when Gog invades, and that's something that you know we've Christadelphians have looked for, and something that we now see. We also see that the mountains of Israel are the focus of Gog's invasion. So he has a particular feature of the land of Israel in mind, a particular part, geographical part of the land of Israel that is the focus of why he comes, and that comes out in two verses. It comes out in verse eight where it says that he comes against the mountains of Israel. And it comes out in, uh, in verse 12 in a different way. It doesn't say the mountains of Israel, but interestingly, it says those that dwell in the midst of the land, in, in the middle of the land, in, in the mountains of Israel. So when you put those two together, it's quite interesting. When you look at Israel today and you see that 
That's the contested part of the land of Israel. That's the part that the Palestinians want for their state. And that's the part that they're fighting over. And that's the part that the nations of the world, and particularly Europe and, and, and Russia, are saying that should be the, for the Palestinian Arabs. And Israel shouldn't be allowed to have um, cities there or, or communities there. And those communities should be destroyed and, and removed. Um, so that's that's quite an interesting thing to look at um, as we as we watch the news. The other uh, thing to notice is that uh, going up onto the second column is that the regathered Israelites are prosperous, and this comes out in verses 12 and 13. Part of the reason of Gog's invasion is actually to lay his hand upon a spoil, and that's really quite interesting when we look at Israel today because. Israel's economy hasn't been affected by the, by the global turndown very much. Um, they have a very strong economy in the high-tech area. But, of course, over the last few years, they've also discovered uh, a substantial amount of oil and gas off the coast. And so Israel is becoming a very prosperous nation. And so we see that, um, that coming to pass as well. It's quite strong in the chapter that they are considered to be dwelling safely without walls and without bars and gates. And that comes out in verses 8, 11, and 14. And that's something that we can look for. It's something that we maybe we've seen develop, um, but it doesn't seem to be getting to that point. Um, you know, like we said at the beginning, the peace treaty that Israel had signed with Egypt now really isn't worth very much at all. Um, so um, the agreements of man, those kind of peace treaties really aren't worth much. And, uh, and Israel's finding that out, which is going to stall things very much so, because Israel is not going to want to sign a peace agreement with the Palestinians without that peace agreement in place with Egypt. That was a key cornerstone of peace in that region. So we're going to have to watch, watch for some developments in that, in that area, something to watch for. Uh, not something that necessarily has to happen before Christ returns. It could quite easily happen after Christ returns. So uh, in no way should we think that this sort of delays the return of Christ and that we might have a little bit of time to relax and, you know, maybe we will get our retirement. You know, we shouldn't be thinking about, shouldn't be thinking that way because any of these events could take place after Christ has returned. Um, the other thing that we notice is that there's a huge alliance of nations from the north um, with these Middle Eastern allies, Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya. And we can read about that in the first seven verses. And uh, so there's going to be many nations that are going to come together and be of one mind and be led by Gog in this invasion. <clears throat> one of the points that we talked about is that the focus of Gog's invasion is the mountains <clears throat> of Israel. And just this week, there was a, quite an interesting news article on uh, many of the uh, websites. This is from the front page of the Jerusalem Post newspaper. Um, it was on the, on the Internet news as well. <clears throat> so um, part of the purpose of Gog's invasion, it says in Ezekiel 38, is to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited. And, of course, there's been this ongoing uh, battle um, over the future of the West Bank outposts or settlements or communities or whatever you want to call them. And uh, now it looks like the Israeli government may legalize 
um, some of those. And of course, that would make things actually quite a bit easier as far as Israel is concerned, as being able to have the regular rule of law in those places. And, uh, and also to be able to say that we're not an occupier, that those are legitimate communities. And so to go through a process of legalizing them would make it easier for Israel. But it certainly doesn't make them popular as far as anyone in the world is concerned that would be sort of in the north. Those king of the north types uh, are not very happy about this. Um, but it's very interesting and uh, something to watch. So ministers were to debate the legalization of West Bank outposts in the wake of a new report that has recommended that. A government report has said that that would be the best way um, forward. So that's something very interesting that happened in the news this week. <clears throat> well, in Ezekiel 38, it says that Persia or Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya is with them. And uh, this picture is of a Russian-built Iranian Kilo-class submarine, which is the quietest diesel attack submarine in the world. And, uh, and this force that Iran is building of submarines, uh, and they keep threatening to block the straits there, and, and the United States has moved a lot of forces into that region, and it's a real flashpoint. And, and again, this world is so unstable, and the Middle East is so unstable right now, um, that at any point, really, it could just descend into war. And, uh, and there's this little narrow strait that all those big oil tankers have to go through, and Iran keeps threatening to block it. So it's a, it's a flashpoint. And of course, Iran is still receiving the backing of Russia for its nuclear reactor, for weapons, and for um, all kinds of other support that they get from Russia, diplomatic support as well. And, uh, and that's what we expect from Ezekiel chapter 38. We spoke about Egypt, uh, and it talks about Egypt in Daniel chapter 11, that the king of the north shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Um, so it's quite interesting that um, Egypt then would fall victim to the king of the north and Egypt is separated from the king of the south um, in that case and uh, and so when the king of the north comes down he he takes Egypt so that does suggest that Egypt would still be an ally of the other dominant power in the region would still be an ally of the king of the south at the time of the end so as we watch events in Egypt right now it, it's very um, unstable and things could go in any direction and then flop back right now it's sort of flopped to this Muslim power but as we saw there's a power struggle going on between the military and between the new Muslim rules so there could be yet a civil war in Egypt and it's quite interesting when we look at some of the other prophecies about Egypt Isaiah chapter 19 is all about Egypt and it says that the Lord shall smite Egypt he shall smite and heal it and they shall return even to Yahweh, and he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them. So God is going to judge Egypt, and, uh, and then he's going to um, eventually heal them when the kingdom is established. So uh, events in Egypt are, are significant, and it's quite interesting to watch those things. We won't turn on the passage, but Ezekiel chapter 29 and verse 15 says how that Egypt would be a base nation, that Egypt would never rise to the prominence that it used to have in ancient times. And, and we certainly see that that's the case. Uh, Egypt just can't, you know, as it were, get its act together. 
and uh, it stays as, as a base nation. So at the beginning we talked about that Muslim rule and tension in Egypt and the ongoing demonstrations. In the uh, Telegraph it said that Egypt, uh, Egypt braced for new a showdown between Islamists and the military. So there's this struggle going on, and it's going to go on for some time. I would imagine it won't be resolved anytime soon. So there'll probably be a period, a longer maybe period of instability in the in the Middle East. And the character of Egypt is really quite concerning. So this is um, uh, an Egyptian cleric, and uh, you'll see what he's saying on the on the screen there just below all those microphones. They seem to like having those. Makes you feel important, I suppose. But um, he says that uh, the capital of Egypt will be Jerusalem, and that we will go and, and, and attack the Jews, and, we'll, and Jerusalem's going to be our capital. And we know that that will never happen. Um, you know, it's very clear that that isn't going to be the case. But Egypt needs to be changed if, if God is going to heal them. So that's why it says that God is going to smite and heal Egypt, so that the character of Egypt has to change um, as well. <clears throat> we talked about, at the very beginning, about Russia sending warships to Syria. And uh, it's interesting when we read Daniel chapter 11, and it says there, we read it together, At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind and with many ships. And although that's not what's happening right now in the Middle East, we can certainly see that Russia is now becoming much more active in the Mediterranean, and there's a resurgence of Russian power um, in that region, and, uh, and we see the balance of power shifting in the Middle East, um, and it will favor Russia uh, as, as Russia builds that alliance um, that... Uh, that we talked about and, and what we read about in Ezekiel chapter 38 verses 1 to 7. So we talked about civil war in Syria and we expect Syria to be with the king of the north. It's Russia that's backing um, Assad at this time and we expect that Syria will be with the king of the north but we also see the brutal repression in, in Syria of the demonstrators and how these people have just been butchered and that's supported by Russia because that's the same character that uh, Russia has, and that's how Russia deals with people, and they're quite happy to back Syria. So that's the characteristic of the king of the north, and it's cruel, just like it was in ancient times. And at the same time, as all this is going on, <clears throat> look on The Economist, and you see this, that uh, the ongoing Euro crisis, and uh, we see, it says, inching towards integration. So the direction that Europe is headed in is the direction of becoming a super state, just kind of as we would read in Ezekiel 38 or Daniel 11. And it's not happening as fast as the economists would like anyway, uh, but that's the direction it's going in. And it seems like it will, it'll keep going in that direction and, and nothing will stop it. And that's what we expect from, uh, from Bible prophecy. So it says the latest European summit made more progress than usual, but still not enough. Uh, and so in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 7, it says, Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself. And that's what Gog is doing, preparing. And that's what we need to do, is to prepare for the return of Christ 
And so we'll finish with those words from Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Thank you very much.